Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. We are going to continue our uh, series on the called. So we are going to uh, look together at the story of Elijah and his life and God's faithfulness. Uh, you'll find this prophet over in 1 Kings, a powerful prophet. We looked at him last week with Pastor Steve, and here we'll be in ver- and, uh, King, 1 Kings 18. We'll get there in just a few minutes, but first, uh, the, one of the things I want to look at is somebody in our history uh, who was a perseverer, if that is a word, uh, and so somebody who persevered, and his name was Andrew Jackson. Everybody who knows their history knows he's one of our presidents. And uh, Andrew Jackson's boyhood friends could, uh, just couldn't understand how he became a famous general and then moved on into being, becoming the president. Uh, in fact, one of his uh, friends had said, why, Jim Brown, who lived right down the pike from Jackson, was not only smarter, but he could throw Andy three times out of four in a wrestling match. But look where Andy is now. Another friend responded, how did there happen to be a fourth time? Didn't they usually give up after three times? And uh, sure, they were supposed to, but not Andy. He would never admit that he had been throned, or throwed, not thrown, or tapped out like they may say today. So, Jim Brown would get tired on the fourth try. Andrew Jackson uh, would throw him and be the winner. So picking up on this idea this morning, the things that counts, the thing that counts is not how many times you are thrown. It's whether or not you're willing to say that you're thrown and to give up. We may face setbacks in this life, but we really can take courage and walk forward in faith uh, as we serve the Lord. And when uh, then the Holy Spirit's power, with His power, we can be the victor over the sin and the things that we face in this world. The battle is the Lord's, so there's no excuse for us to tap out. There's no excuse for us to say that we're thrown. Today we're going to look here at Elijah again, and who's a prophet of God. He maintained his courage and faith, even in some real difficult times. And his nation had turned its back on the Lord, and their leader was Ahab, as we heard about last week. He was a wicked king, not too nice of a guy. And uh, Elijah didn't give up on God or his promise for the people of Israel. In his ups and downs... He wasn't going to let Ahab destroy the people of Israel. He wasn't going to let it happen. And Elijah's prayer life reflected his close relationship with God. Sometimes he did some things that were a little bit risky. He didn't always do things that seemed to make sense from one side of things. But we know that at times he knew what the Word of God said and he stood on it as we will see here shortly. The prayers of Elijah would have, been, would have preceded his proclamation to Ahab. See, 
Elijah just didn't stand up impromptu and say, well, hey, this is what we're going to do. No, we know that he was a man of God and he would have been spending time in prayer before he met Ahab. The context for our passage is uh, that Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah said, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the balls and, and now uh, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. He's challenging them. We heard last week that Elijah tells Ahab there's not going to be any rain I'm, until I say so. And it was a challenge to the false god of Baal who was a, a fertility god. Israel had focused their lives on this false god and ignored the true and living God. Since Elijah had declared no rain, they're now in a drought. Now the next challenge came to the prophet of God to meet him at Mount Carmel, and that's what takes place. Look with me here. You can see on the screen, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20, and it says this, So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, or Yahweh, or Jehovah, as that would be translated, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So Elijah's challenge now is, how long will you go on limping, or how long will you waver between the two opinions? We realize that the original Hebrew word there for uh, limping or wavering can be interpreted as hobbling between two forks, hobbling between two forks in the road. And we use uh, the English idiom is to sit on the fence. How, can, how long can you sit on the fence, he's saying to these guys? The clear choice is between the acknowledgement of the Lord or of Baal himself, or some would say Baal. One thing's for sure. You can't worship two gods at the same time. You see how the uh, people said nothing. They didn't say anything. They wouldn't respond to Elijah. They wanted to keep uh, on their same old habits of worshiping Baal too. But uh, Israel was sitting on the fence. Their hearts were divided. They were double-minded. It brings us really to the first matter, the question we have to ask ourselves. And as every preacher, as he prepares himself, are you sitting on the fence? Are you in the place that you could go either direction? Like uh, Israel, I think camping, camping on, that, on that spiritual fork uh, for them was a place of comfort, comfort. They thought, well, you know, if this God doesn't work, we got the other one. And so it doesn't work that way, does it? And even today in our times, people will say, well, yeah, if God doesn't help me, then I've got this. I've got that. I've got something else to be able to help me to make it through. But we realize here that these guys were facing a real problem, and, and the prophet is going to knock them off of the fence. What about you? Where are you at? Are you on the fence? 
Hopefully you've set your focus and your heart on the Lord. We find later that Ahab was on Carmel, uh, and, uh, and he had no idea of, uh, of Elijah's intention at this point. But Israel was too happy to keep their foot on one side, uh, one on each side. And so it could have been that they thought this gave them some kind of spiritual security. Uh, and that's a lot of reasons why people do that. But what Elijah was going to do is he met the, the, the prophets, he met a lot, uh, the, uh, the king. He's going to put before the eyes of the whole nation this convincing truth that the Lord is God. And these false gods are nothing. Then he's going to give a death blow to idolatry in Israel. Israel attempted to serve two masters at that point, but it doesn't work. It doesn't fly today either. And we'll look at the next two verses. Verse 22 says this, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us, get Baal's prophets uh, choose, or let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, little g, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire. He is God. So Elijah is going to knock Israel off of the fence, and his challenge was based upon the Bible. It was based on Scripture in Leviticus chapter 9. See, Elijah wasn't doing just any old thing out there. He wasn't just assuming on God. He was expecting that God was going to answer like the Scripture had said before that he had. The Lord had manifested himself as the God of Israel by causing fire to fall from heaven upon the first sacrifice presented in front of the tabernacle of Moses and to consume it. Elijah expected God would even now reveal himself as the living God. Elijah was not presuming. <laughs> he wasn't thinking, well, maybe God's going to do this for us. Maybe he'll light the fire. He was a man of faith, a man of prayer, and he was a man with a lot of determination. Because he was, Elijah threw down the gauntlet. He threw it down that day. He expected that God would intervene. He knew the covenant. Elijah teaches us here to pray according to God's word. Elijah is simply claiming the promises of God's word. I think we need to raise our expectations levels. We need to raise our expectations. If that comes through seeking and knowing God through prayer, through accepting his word, through knowing his word, it's our covenant with, b between us and him. Uh, we must be able to jump down from the fence and follow the one true living God who cares for us and has the best in store for us. If we look over in verse 24, it says, Then all the people said, What do you, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since 
there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, little G there again, but do not light the fire. So they took the bowl given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. Surprising. That was sarcasm. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. Now the competition is on. Who's going to come out on top? As we see, as we're going to go through this passage, to be fair to the prophets of Baal, we find that Elijah let them choose the sacrificial bull they wanted and let, let them prepare it and do the first sacrifice. Elijah's like, you guys go ahead. Why don't you guys get yours done first and, and uh, then we'll go from there. You know, most of the times people think, well, you know what? I want to go first, right? I'm sure he figured they needed every advantage that they could get at this point. Now, if you'll bear with my automotive uh, illustration here for just a minute, you could kind of compare Elijah to a, a highly trained and skilled automotive technician. Right, you know I used to teach that. So, okay. So, here's the, instruct, here's the, uh, the automotive technician, and, and he has a customer come in, and, and the customer said, hey, I have a check engine light. Everybody has those, you know, once in a while they pop up, and the, and the technician says, hey, I am going to give you a very fair advantage. I am going to let you fix your own car if you would like, but you can use my, what, five to $10,000 computer scan tool, and you can plug it into your, your vehicle. You can find the problem, you can repair it, and you'll be good to go. I'm going to give you the advantage, but there, there's some things that's missing because he doesn't have everything it takes to go dot to dot, does he? So the customer comes out, and, and he uses this fine scan tool. He plugs it into his car, and he finds that it comes up a code that says misfire on number one cylinder. And so number one is not firing like it's supposed to. And so the guy says, aha, there's the answer. It is a misfire. So all I have to do is go down to the, uh, the Walmart or go to some place and buy a $6 spark plug. And I'm going to put that in there. So he puts it in. The customer puts it in. And uh, he looks. He clears all his codes out. And he starts it up to run it. And there it is again misfire. He spends $800 trying to repair this vehicle by himself, although he has a professional computer scan tool, right? It doesn't help him. And finally, the technician comes over to him and he says, well, here, here you go. Let me help you out here a little bit. And he pulls out some propane and he puts it over the top of the engine and uh, runs the engine and he, uh, he discovers it as a vacuum leak, which is pretty simple. He said, you know what? I'll fix it for $350. He's already spent $800. <laughs> and the technician's like, well, you know, we can fix it. This is it. This is the problem. Elijah didn't need the best tools, although he had the best tools because he just needed faith, prayer, and persistence as he trusted in the one true living God. He knew God. He didn't just know about him. The prophets of Baal had a problem. They knew about the true living God, but they chose to serve a false God instead. They had accepted the challenge, thinking that their sacrifice to Baal, the God of the storm, would end up bringing rain. Verse 27. 
At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god, small g. Perhaps he is, in, he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, a sad thing, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Elijah's sarcasm or his ridicule lies more in the phrase, surely he is a God, little g. Uh, and then he gave them reasons why uh, he may not be answering them. So these are the most absurd things possible if Baal is really a God. There's no way this false God would respond with fire. The living God had proven himself throughout history. He had proven himself to Moses and to Israel in their deliverance from Egypt and God revealed himself in the desert while Israel was wandering around with the tabernacle. At night, he provided that pillar of fire, and at day, he provided that pillar of cloud to cover them. We see his work over in Leviticus in 9. Elijah based his prayers on God's previous actions. And he'd also base his prayers on the scriptures. Do you? Do you base your prayers on what the scripture says? Remember, it's important to be in context. Do you base your prayers on what God has done in the past? For us as followers of Jesus, we want to be the type of people that know what the word of God says. We also want to know uh, what God is saying to us and see what he has done in the past. Elijah knew that it was no contest for God. The prophets of Baal set up their sacrifice in the morning. They danced through noon. They spent all day in a frenzy calling on this false god. They ended up going till the evening when Elijah would have made that daily uh, evening sacrifice. The time of that evening sacrifice was... Uh, the chief daily service for them, and it was usually around 3 p.m. And on Mount Carmel, the prophets of, of Baal had their opportunity, and now Ahab and the false prophets had Israel sitting on the fence, but God was not about to let his people stay on that fence too long. He didn't want them there. He wanted them for himself. Verse 30 tells us this. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descending from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, or Yahweh, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of, of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again. He said, and they did it again. Do it a third time. He ordered them, and they did it the third time. 
and water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. It's vital that you notice the first part of that in verse 30 on the altar itself. First, the altar had been torn down. Second, that the alt that Elijah repaired the thing. Uh, there was already an altar of God on Mount Carmel, which either existed before Jerusalem's temple uh, when altars were set up in different places to the Lord. But what's more likely is it had been built by God's worshipers from Israel's ten tribes uh, since the kingdom was divided by Jeroboam. But the altar was likely destroyed, though, during Ahab's reign when the worship of Baal became accepted by the masses. And because, because Ahab said, I want my own way, I want to do things my own way, I want my own name, and I want to use a false god to get that, which was destructive. Elijah made sure people knew that neither he nor God were frauds. He dug the ditch and he poured tons of water on the offering and the wood. There's a reason why some would say back then idolaters carried their deceptions to such a length that they would set fire to the wood of sacrifices from hollow places, concealing beneath the altars to make innocent people believe that the sacrifice had been miraculously lit on fire by some god, false god. Verse 36 tells us this, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he's already referring to the covenant, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Look at what he says here. He says, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning your hearts back, turning their hearts back again. See, the scripture tells us in the New Testament, it's not God's will that any, any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in other words, it's, God doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. God wants everybody to be able to be in fellowship with Him. He wants to provide them hope, and He wants to give them life. Elijah clearly says, he clearly proclaims that the object of the miracle, and that like many miracles God does, He always has a purpose. One is always compassion because God is a God of compassion. The miracle was what we call in missions a power encounter. It's when, we, when uh, we say you may not believe in God, but he can prove himself to you. That miracle became evidence of God's power and his grace so that Israel would be able to move forward towards God again away from the old way of living and look towards the living God who come to give them hope and freedom. Verse 38 says this, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. 
Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Now, we're not going to go into that, but we know that basically he was following what the Old Testament law was telling him he should do at that point. Fire was a symbol of the divine presence. And all the time, the, the prophets of Baal sacrificed and danced into a frenzy. There was no fire for them. Now Yahweh, the living God, he demonstrated his, his power by his command over water and fire and rain. It is a deliberate affront to the false god. He didn't just burn up the sacrifice, but he burned up everything around it, including the stones and the water. The Lord himself was saying, I accept your sacrifice, Elijah. And then he was signing it, I am God. That's what he was doing. The context, the contest was over. It was done. Elijah was called. He was a man of prayer and persistence. He knew God would answer. But it wasn't really the end. Look at what he says in verse 41 here. He says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel and bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there. He said seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So while Ahab left and he went to eat and drink something, Elijah climbed further into the mountain to pray and to watch God work. He knew God still had more. Remember this thing, there was a reason why it was not raining. He had heard the sound of heavy rain by faith. They didn't hear it. They didn't see it. He heard it by faith because he knew God was working. And he had stayed connected with his heavenly father. Elijah buried his head between his knees in a powerful prayer, and he, sent, and he sent his servant to the mountain's peak to look for the approaching rain, which hadn't yet come. Remember why there was no rain. Elijah said it wasn't going to rain until he said so. It was a front to that false god of the, of the storm who supposedly brought the rain and the dew. Ha-ha on him. <laughs> Ball the false god couldn't perform. But the living God did. In the New Testament, it tells us over in James chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, it tells us this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. See, we tend to forget that the people in the Bible whom God used in such a powerful and incredible way 
were just like us. Just regular people. That is normal people. That's all they were. James is reminding us of this in order to encourage us that, that we too can be effective in our prayers like Elijah. You, me, each one of us can. But what we must do is be willing to take the time to interact with our Heavenly Father. Allow Him to work in our lives. Allow Him to transform us. Finally, we see here in verse 44, Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariots and go down before the rain stops you, buddy. Oh, he didn't say buddy. Verse 45, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, tucked his shirt in. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Elijah's prayer, his prayer life, it reflected a very good and a very strong connection to God. What about you? Are you making that connection to the Lord? Are you making that connection on a regular basis? Are, are you willing to connect yourself to the one true God in prayer? Are you willing to follow His Word? Are you willing to pray according to His Word so that you'll see an answer like Elijah? Sometimes we wonder, why doesn't this stuff happen anymore, God? Why don't we see it like we would expect to see it? And sure, it does happen at times. But why don't we see it? Maybe it's we're not connecting ourselves to our Heavenly Father the one true God. Maybe it is. We're not in His Word strong and allowing His Word to change our way of thinking so that when we pray, that we know we're praying the will of God because we know what God's Word tells us. Maybe it's we're not putting our face between our knees and bending down and seeking God. That we're not putting our face to the ground and saying, God, I need you. We have too many things around us in America that gives us support, but we still need Him. Friends, we still need Him. And if we need Him now, we need Him now more than any other time in our lives. You may say, you know what, I, I don't, I really have things together, I'm okay now. Well, that's good. Maybe someone else needs Him. And maybe God wants you to act on their behalf and pray and seek God on their behalf. Sometimes I get in a place where I just pray and say, Lord, I don't know why I need to pray, but I just know I need to pray. And I spend that time in there and I say, I'm not sure what you're doing, God. Sometimes it's just not about me. It's about somebody else. Friends, sometimes it's not about us. It's about our friend. It's about our neighbor. It's about... Uh, maybe a family member. It, it's about other people that need to touch from God. But maybe the person is that needs that grace is you right then. And maybe it's you that needs it right now. And just in a minute, we're going to have prayer teams come up and we'll be up here to pray with you. You may have a need that 
only God can meet. Friends, God is still God. He has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful. He's just. He's kind. He's righteous. He's holy. He's true. And He wants to work in our lives. George, George Mueller said this, It's not enough to begin to pray, nor to pray correctly. Nor is it, is it enough to continue for a, a time to pray. But we must pray patiently, believing, continue in prayer until we obtain the answer. Friends, sometimes we just need to pray until we see God move. Pray until you see God move. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we need you more than anything else in this world. And we ask you, Father God, that you would continue to do your work in our lives, Father. We pray that you would help us to keep our focus on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. We pray that you would help us to recognize the good that you want to do in our lives and in the lives of others around us. Father, for those that are struggling, even at this point in this time, Father, if it is a need, a physical need, a spiritual need, maybe their health, Father, I pray that you'd put your hands on them, Lord. Father, I pray that you would do your work in this place today because we are your people. We are not perfect. We are growing. And we ask you to help us this morning as we focus on you. In Jesus' name.